Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are grateful. We are grateful for your for your Holy Spirit, grateful for the worship we had tonight. Lord, I needed it. Grateful for who you are. You are faithful. You're an amazingly good God. And uh, we pray that you have your way with us tonight. The words that you want spoken be your words, Lord, that our hearts be changed to make us more like you. We trust in your good work and what you're planning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I just want to share you a little bit of a story about the goodness of the Lord um, this week. Um, I really wasn't sure how I was going to get things done. I had to work Friday and Saturday day shift, and then Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. And I still had to get, we had a meeting to book some flights in India to go on the mission trip, which I'm leaving in in a little over a week. And then I had to forward a list of medications, and then the work that we have with Glenn Meldrum, and he gave a bigger list for this um, chapter two, and it was good but heavy, and then preparing for the message that I'd done some reading but hadn't actually pulled it together. And I asked the Lord for help, and God was good. He was busy working, busier than usual. Um, you know, I don't pray enough to the Lord. I do a lot still in my own strength. And um, this time I prayed more, and it was really sweet. I got to pray with people. I got to get rest earlier at the time. It was busy at the beginning, crazy busy, and then it slowed down. So I got some sleep and got to get up early. Monday I was got able to get everything done with Glenn, and yesterday everything just came together for the for the message for this. And, I, um, and then today I thought I had meetings. Um, meeting yesterday was canceled. Three meetings today that I thought I had down there were all canceled, so I got to get back early. It was just a beautiful thing to see because I said, Lord, I need help. And um, God did that. Um, so God is amazingly good, um, and I'm just grateful for him. Surprisingly rested when I should be like like zombie. Okay, we're actually going to go back a little bit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we're going to jump to 14. Pastor shared on Sunday about chapter 13 about love. So we're going to go to verse 12, because I didn't get to that. And let's start there right at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, having all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now, but now, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. 
And I talked a little bit about it, but I'm going to just try to get it very clear. I think it's self-evident. I think most of us understand that. And I think we just really need to get it. Sometimes we know it talks about desiring the gifts, and sometimes we see people with certain gifts and we wish we had what they had. There's a natural human nature within us to envy others what we don't have, and we see, you know, something that's like the grass is greener on the other side. Um, but in the body of Christ, we need every element to be exactly how they are. And we talked when I spoke last week about really getting a sense of what those gifts are. When we're truly acting within the gifts that God's given us, we'll see the body become healthier and stronger. Okay? And this whole part of the hearing is we need all aspects. As I'm talking to you, as you're talking to me, you know, we need the vision, we need the eyes, we need the hearing to hear. We need your hands and fingers to write your notes, look up the Bible. We need all aspects. And so, um, one of the things that God's trying to impress upon us is this contentment and that being trusting that God is good, knowing what we need in each one of us. And that's what he revealed to me. We can cry out, he can help us, but he knows our need. And he has appointed, it is God who's placed each of us in this body. You are not here by accident. God intended you to be here, right here, right now. So, I love what, the, in the wisdom of the designer, every single person has something to give. Has something they've been gifted with by the Lord. Every believer I'm talking about. And no one believer has all of them. We need all of them. There's no way this body could function if we didn't have all the parts. Okay? Looking a little further on verses 21 to 26. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there would be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Pastor talked on Sunday about that, about love being the engine, about driving it. And we're and you can see from what he shared, this is exactly what he's talking about. You and all, you and I know, and I, I've woken up in the middle of the night, and I've stubbed my pinky toe against the furniture, against the dresser, and boy, does it hurt. It's a little pinky toe. Who really needs it? I mean, really, probably get by with four toes. You don't need the fifth. Okay, if you spread them out, probably be okay. Okay, but when that pinky toe gets stubbed, the whole body reacts, okay? You're suffering, and everything else that you were thinking about is completely gone, okay? And so the idea is when one suffers in the body, 
the whole body suffers. And the more we get that, the more we apprehend that and really get that, the more we'll be able to do that. So when my toe is stubbed, what do I do? All my focus and attention goes to that stubbed toe. I'm checking to see, is it broken? Is it bruised? And then I'm bandaging it, taping it to the adjacent toe, knowing that I can't do a lot with a broken toe. It kind of has to heal. Okay? And I'm walking, walking on the inside of my foot, babying that toe to make sure I'm not putting any pressure on that toe. Okay? So everything else I do is now affected by that. I can't go play soccer like some people do when my toe is up. I'm kind of handicapped doing some things. Can't go running. Can't do things. Okay? I'm limited by one little pinky toe. Okay? So it is with the body. And what that does is that idea of love that Pastor was sharing about on Sunday is when we really get that and see that need, then we'll want to help administer just like we do that with ourselves. And I've fallen and broken both my wrists, and I can tell you it was an incredible amount of pain. Okay? I no longer use the word excruciating because that means pain of the cross, and my pain is nothing like what Jesus went through. Okay? Nothing like what Jesus went through. Didn't kill me. Pain doesn't kill me. But it hurt a lot, and my focus was affected by that. Okay? But I ministered it. We did what was necessary. And that's what we do within the body. And so what Paul is talking about here is there's a the Greek word it says when you talk about care, it's mire, it's Greek for mermenio. M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. And in the New Testament, it anxiously, it means a care that's kind of anxious. Not in a bad way. M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. And it's, a, it's like when it talked about it when we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about the he who marries cares about the things of the world, but... Um, but, but not about the cares of the world, but about how he may please his wife. Okay? And so that caring, when you care about pleasing your wife, it's not just, eh, I'm going to just take care of it. It's an anxious care. It's something that you dwell upon. So when they're talking about we need to care for the body, it becomes something where there's a burden on you. There's an anxiousness. You really, I don't like to use the word worry or fret, but it means that you're, you're concerned. Okay? It's a huge priority. Thank you. Yes. Okay? It becomes a very much a priority. Okay? So, God has fashioned the church like to a body that they may care deeply. And so, that can only happen through the love of Christ. Okay? I love my body more than I love you in the flesh. That's what I do. You stub your toe, I don't feel it. Okay? When I stub my toe, I feel it. You stub your toe, I don't feel it. Okay? When you suffer, it doesn't naturally in the flesh make it easy for me to feel. But there's the Holy Spirit within us. And when we're walking in the Spirit, we do feel it. We do experience it. It becomes something very personal to us. And that's what it means by being in the body. It's something very personal. Okay? And we have to get that together. And that's the kind of unity of the Spirit that we have is when it becomes personal. When you know somebody's suffering and you care about them and you're trying to meet their needs and trying to help them. 
So when Pastor shared about the, the idea of when somebody suffers, but the other thing is also, the other half of that is the rejoicing. Okay? Pastor talked about that. When somebody does well, we should be ecstatic. Somebody gets a new promotion, they get a new job, they get something great, we should be going, wow, that's fantastic. Just like if you got it. Not that I want people to do the lottery because I'm not a big fan of that whole idea. I think it's a tax on the board. But if somebody happened to win the lottery or win something, we should have the joy. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the same joy they did? We were just as pleased as they were. That is real, being real simpatico. That means really being connected, really coming alongside. Suffering as well, but also rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's what the love of Christ can do when we feel the joy when they do well. The natural flesh is we laugh at somebody's misfortune. They fall down and get hurt. <laughs> okay? That is not of Christ. Okay? God is not laughing at us up there at our misfortune. And we are, at times, kind of buffoons, really. Like, you know, fall down. If anybody has a right to laugh at us, God probably does. But that's not him at all. He's grieved when we're grieved. He rejoices when we rejoice. You got to see that with Jesus. Okay? When, even though he knew what was going to happen with Lazarus, okay, when they came and Mary was crying and said, if you were there, you would have saved him, and she wept, he wept. That's the idea of the burden within the body that they want of us. It's that same intimacy, that same real care. Husbands and wives, to have it together, that's what it's supposed to have as a couple. That's what that unity is really supposed to be. So you see that parallel with the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus and God together, and then also within the family and also within the body. All of that is relational, based in real love, agape love. Beyond phileo love, beyond familial storzio love, okay? Agape love. So let's look at the last 27 to 31. God distributes the gifts. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of, of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. So he's summarizing the, some of the gifts of the body. And this... We're not going to spend the time to detail all what those gifts are. And at some time, Lord willing, I'll be happy to go through that, either as a teaching as a whole or individually, to let you know what those look like. The point that it's mentioning here is there are going to be different roles we're all going to have, number one. Number two, not everyone's going to have all the gifts, okay? It does talk about earnestly desire the best gifts earnestly desire the best gifts. 
What does that mean? The best gifts are the gifts the body needs. We think the best gifts are the ones that have the higher status. Ooh, I'm going to be the apostle because that's got the head honcho, create new ministries, or I'm going to be the one who's the preacher because that's the front row center. That is not what it's talking about. The best gifts are the ones that the body needs. And is it more sensitive? You'll realize it. So if you've lost your foot, the best gift you could have is another foot. If you've lost your hand, the best gift you could have is another hand. Okay? So what is talking about the best gifts or what the body needs? Because the motivation about all that is not about you. It's always about others. It's always about others. The gifts are not for you. The gifts are for the benefit of the body. The gifts are always for the benefit of the body. Okay? The hand doesn't work in isolation by itself. It works to help for me to do the tasks, to help feed me, to help me to get things done. The heart's necessary to pump the blood for the rest of the body to function. The brain's necessary to direct things, to decide what needs to be done. All for the body, but we need all of it together. You may see all these things about science fiction stuff that show these things are separate or all that stuff. That is not how it works. Can't work. It's all fantasy. The body is meant to be in unity together. And so when it talks about the best gift, it's always what is necessary for the body. So you can pray and look, what does the body need? I'm going to pray, God, give me the gift that I can be a blessing to the body in the way that it needs it. Okay? Josh stepped up to be involved in administration. We needed that gift of administration. Okay? That was an example of saying what's in the best interest of the body. So when you're looking at to see what's lacking, that's what God wants us. Because it says here, what's the, the last line? And yet I show you a more excellent way. The more excellent way is, of course, love. And that's all of chapter 13, all about love. Okay? Love is always other-directed always directed to the benefit of others. That's real love we're talking about. Okay, but that love is, you know, agape love. Okay, so that's finishing up what we didn't get to last week in chapter 12. And the funny thing is, really chapter 14, which we're going to go through now, kind of connects right with it. It's almost like when Paul was going, he was going on this track, and they said, wait, 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 before I go further along on this, let me make sure we get things right. And that's when he talked about we need to do this in love. It was so important that Paul had to stop going further to say we need to get this. Because if we don't get that love is the engine that drives it, we're not going anywhere. If we're doing it anything else out of self, it's a waste of time. It's a complete waste of time. Okay, so everything, everything we've been talking about all in 1 Corinthians has always been really about love. Whenever you're doing anything that we're doing, if you look at it again and you read it again, ask yourself, okay, how is this showing God's love for me and my love for others? In every decision we make, how is it being loving to others? That is the metric. That's the scale that God wants us to go by. So beginning in chapter 14, it says that very clearly. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, 
And then he goes, but especially that you may prophesy. So, why did he say desire spiritual gifts? Because he wants you to be a blessing to the body. Right? And so prophesy is first, okay? It's just pursue love. So love has to be why you're doing it. So the prophesy, what is prophesy about? Prophesy is about sharing God's revelation to the benefit of the body. Prophesy is about edifying and building up the body. So that's why he makes it very clear. And in this chapter, he's going to talk more about the distinction between prophecy and tongues. Okay? And we're going to talk a little bit more. Let's go to verse 2 to 5. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. I shared last week, and I talked about prophecy. Yes, to some extent there is preaching, but preaching, the Greek word for that is caruso, okay, to proclaim the word in terms of proclaiming the gospel. The word here is propheteo, as I shared last week, and that word really talks to something that's more prophetic. There's a revelation. But in this passage, you get to see what is clear. It's the, it's, he's saying, yes, we should speak in tongues, but he's saying, even more importantly than that, I want you to do whatever you do for the benefit of the body. Always Paul's focus is, how does this become a blessing for the body? Okay? So, when we speak in tongues, this is important to understand. Whether it's, you know, if you look at Acts, they spoke, and they thought, oh, they spoke in different languages. No, they spoke one word. People from all different countries heard in their own language. So it's not like they spoke a dozen languages. They spoke one word, and they were speaking to who? They were speaking to God. The whole idea and the principle of tongues is always a communication with you and God. That was the intent. So the intent that we believe in this church. The whole reason that we encourage it is we want you to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. We want you to be empowered by that relationship. We want that relationship to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. In some respects, all-consuming. Those of you doing pursuit of God, study, you can see that. It's like a fire. It's an all-consuming. We want that passion to burn brightly. And tongues is a vehicle. It's a way that we do, that God wants us to communicate. Prophecy, on the other hand, is intended to be a way to bless the body. It's intended to edify the body. Just when Pastor Jeff, who speaks in front here and communicates, and you feel changed by it, it's a way to intend to change the body. Okay, so... It says, what are the three things it talks about with that? In When, he, when you... Um, when you prophesy. When you prophesy, you're doing edification, which means to build up, right? Edify, to erect a structure, to build up. It speaks exhortation, which is encouragement. So you're building up, you're encouraging them, 
and comfort. Okay, which comfort means not only just coming around and saying, hey, to console them, but comfort is still always intentional. Because comfort's going, yeah, I know you're going through a hard time, but God has not given up on you. He has a plan, and His will will be done. We're just going to fall through and see in the midst of this trial. The intention of comfort is always to strengthen you, to get you off the sidelines and back in the game. Okay? To get you back in the kingdom. So the intention of the word, okay, is he's always looking at, hey, I want you to make a difference with others. And prophecy is intended to build you back, to get you back in the game. And you see, just what Pastor was praying and just what he was sharing, how are we to reach the outside? The church in our country, unfortunately, has not really exercised that gift well. We've been very insular. We have our churches that are metered to cater programs to cater to ourselves. How does it help me? How does it meet the needs of my kids and my family? What studies can I learn about? And that's not the mission of the church. That's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that goes with the Great Commission. And loving your neighbor, you can't really love your neighbor if you're not sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. You can't really love your neighbor if you give them food and they die and go to hell. That's not real love. Real love means, let me show you about how good God has been with me, and let me show what he has for you. Let me show the goodness of the Lord. Real love always points people to Christ. Real love edifies them and brings them to God. So, that is the intent of what he's talking about. Now, there's one other part. I'm going to backtrack a little bit back on that verse, if you can have it back up there, if you don't mind. It talks about, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So part of the thing with this relationship, God is transcendent. God is an extra-dimensional being. We exist in four dimensions. God exists beyond that. As I've shared before, we know there's a minimum of 11 space-time dimensions. We don't know how many there are. God certainly does. He exists in all of that. He exists and he is in every attribute. And those of us who go to study and see the knowledge of the holy, when you look at the attributes of God, he has all the attributes that we know plus more that we don't understand because we don't even have a concept of that. And he has it to a degree that we can't comprehend. Okay? Why am I saying that? I'm saying the God of the universe who created everything is vastly greater than we are. It is mind-boggling to even get a sense to think that we could understand him. And there's no way we could in our own. It's only through God himself who makes himself understood to us. He made him understand through the word. And one of the best representations of that is through Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, you got to see the ministry of Jesus. You get a sense of the nature of God. And he doesn't leave it there. He does not leave it there. He gives us even more through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God and within us to give us access to God and to be able to communicate, to commune with God. So some of the stuff when we're praying and when we're doing and we're seeking Him, it's truly a mystery. It's beyond our intellect. 
our intellect cannot, is incapable of grasping it. It would be like asking a one-year-old to understand astrophysics. Not possible. But even on a scale exponentially greater than that. Exponentially greater than that. So, what we believe here is by those who have been led to in praying is your access in the mystery and God does something. I don't know what it is. I can't understand it. Hence the term mystery. Beyond my comprehension. Okay? It's okay. We don't have to know everything about it. We have to trust in faith that God knows what he's doing. Okay? And that's the opportunity for us to walk and trust in faith that he knows what we need when we need it. Just like he did for me. During worship, I, you know, quietly prayed in tongues. Okay? Just, and it edified me. That was intended. To edify me, to help me, to calm me, to settle me. To then go, okay, how am I going to pull it all together? I don't even know what to have to say. And I'm kind of like, kind of a little fried. And God goes, don't worry about it. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to worry about it. But that peace happened because any anxiety I felt instantly was gone when I was able to do that. Now, for you, it'll manifest differently. It's not going to be the same way. That's okay. But it will be according to your need as you're free to permit the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Okay? So, um, Paul says something else with that. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Okay? Um, I wish you all spoke with tongues. So he desires us to... Why? Because he knows we need every bit of help we can get. I certainly do. We need every bit of help we get. Okay? And when we cry out for help, God's there. The value of tongues, it's a vehicle to commune with God that he will help us. Okay? I think of it like programming. That I don't understand the code that God uses to kind of change me and to do that. I don't understand it. But it is a relationship. And as you seek him and do that, that's a vehicle to do that. So Paul wants you to have a more interrelationship with God for your personal devotional life. And that's what it's all talking about. Personal devotional time. So spending that time as much as possible. And then we'll talk a little bit more. There's a place for tongues within the body as a whole. But it's primarily for your relationship with God. Prophecy is primarily for the body. You don't prophesy in your closet, in your prayer closet. You're not doing it there. You're doing it for the body. So let's look through verses 6 through 9. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. So Paul's now addressing, and he's going to address it even more, that when you're speaking tongues and you're speaking some stuff, how is it going to help somebody around you? They don't understand what's going on with you. It's not going to give any value to them whatsoever. 
it's going to be like somebody on the keyboard. If you had me on the keyboard and I was pressing the keys, making this clamor of sound that makes no sense. And you're like, okay, what's he doing? Okay? Like a kid on drums. They're kind of like just all over the place. Okay? The idea is you want to do something that provides a benefit for the others. Now, it's okay to do a little bit to play with some of those things, and it's okay to permit that, and sometimes you have to do some things to tune, and there's some role to practice doing some things where it may not initially have meaning. But for it to have the greater meaning, it needs to be something that's coordinated and makes sense. And so that's what Paul's talking about. And when a trumpet sounds, you don't want it to play taps when you're about to charge into battle. You want it to play charge. Okay? So you want it to have the right thing, the right sound. Okay? It's supposed to be meaningful. So the message has to be meaningful for the benefit of the others. Okay, so one of the key things that we need to talk about is order. Always Paul talks about order. Within the body, there's order. You can have some disorder in terms of your prayer life and how you do it. I certainly do at certain times when I'm there driving down. One of the things, you know, people talk about this long drive, and I made it back today. It's pretty a good time with me and Jesus. I've done it so many times, it's, I don't have to do it twice in a day. It's two hours. I get to talk to a few people, listen to a few messages, get some praise music, talk to God, and I don't care. People may think I'm like kind of nuts in the car doing what I'm doing, but it's okay. I can do the nutty thing, okay? And you can do that in your private space. It's okay to have some of that, and you can do that in tongues. It's okay to have your personal devotional time, but within the body itself to be a blessing to others, we need to have some order, okay? doesn't mean that sometimes we don't have latitude because we want people to be free, but there needs to be that balance, and that's what we're going to help you with. Okay, so verses 10 to 11. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, but none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Again, it's further on the same point, basically saying it needs to be something that's understood. Okay, if I start speaking to you in French, unless you have some French experience, you probably won't understand what I'm saying. Okay, so I know some French and I can speak that. I've learned a little bit of Spanish to speak. I have a Spanish, people come to my emergency room, and I've, but it's hard to understand, and the idea is when we're doing that, we need to be in a way to communicate. So always think that when you're doing that, and while we want you to be free with your gift, consider others around you. Make sure it's a blessing to them, too. Okay? So even when we worship, if you're worshiping and you're lifting, we don't see this much. We want you to worship God. But if you're lifting your arms up and it blocks the view of somebody behind you, is that a blessing to them? No. I noticed that with some of the staff, you're like, they didn't lift their arms up as much. Sometimes they did, they didn't. A little bit. And the reason is they're always thinking, I'll make sure that what I'm doing is good for me to worship God as an example, but not be an impediment. And so the idea is same thing. If you have somebody up there and he's bringing all this attention to themselves and trying to do it, it's such a distraction for somebody else. I, I'm encouraged when people lift their arms up. For me, that lets me know, yeah, we need to do that. So I'm encouraged by that. Okay? But we just need to be sensitive to some of the... And we're in, in a body of believers that is expressive. Praise God. Okay, we just have to be sensitive of that. Just be aware of Okay? And pray, and the Holy Spirit will give you direction. Verses 12 to 14. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, 
My spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Further to that point. So it says a couple of things. One, you can interpret your own tongue. It doesn't have to be somebody else. Okay? And so you can wait and see if God does. And we want to be in a place where we can say something to the benefit of the body. When, you know, when I hear, when we talk about, and somebody's praising God, okay? And they're saying, thank you, God, for what you're doing. And we do that here freely. Praising God in between our worship. Tongues is that similar idea. And so having that prayer, that praise translated in a way is what the Lord wants us to do, is to be able to communicate that. Now, there may be other things within it, too, he wants, but that's what he's talking about. Okay, understanding unfruitful is more along what I just talked about, that when you're in tongues, you don't always understand what you're saying. It's not happening in a way that you can understand. That's that mystery part. It's a way that your mind is unprofitable. It really depends on something on a spiritual level that's beyond your comprehension. Because it's even beyond yours, God's using it to change you, but it's going to be hard for that to be benefit of others. Okay, unless there's an interpretation that makes that clear. So that's why we do never want to have tongues without interpretation. Private life, yes. Small, under your voice tones if you want to be free, yes. Public declaration, loud, no way, Jose. Okay. Um, so, one of the things they say is, you say, okay, if my understanding is unfruitful and I don't understand that, how do I pray in tongues? For those who don't, it's not like you just open your mouth and God takes over. Um, you don't have to practice wiggling your tongue around or doing anything like that. And you don't have to say a word over and over again, like somebody saying a mantra until you get the right combination to do that. Okay? I love what it says here, and I got this from um, David Guzik. Actually, the language of tongues works much like languages we understand. A word or sound occurs in our mind, and we vocalize that word or sound. In the gift of tongues, one simply continues to speak the words and sounds coming into our mind, trusting God is prompting them. And he understands what they say, and that in the Spirit... What we say is perfectly appropriate for the moment. Okay? Do you get that? So, just like when I'm talking to you, or a thought comes to mind I'm speaking to you, I'm not processing, I'm not thinking, I'm not overthinking. I'm like, okay. Okay, I'm going to say the word what. What's the next? I mean, it just happens. It just flows. You just talk. It will be the same as that. It will just flow. Okay? The Holy Spirit will direct you. It will just flow. Some people are worried to saying, oh, well, if I say something that's wrong, that's going to blaspheme the name of God. If the Spirit's directing you, that will not happen. Cannot happen. You're earnest and honest in seeking God. Now, if you're duplicitous and you're lying, yes. But if you're earnest and honest and sincere, God knows that. He takes a mustard seed of faith and moves mountains. Okay? He will more than direct what's going on in your mind and what's going out of your mouth. Okay, that's what he will want to do. Um, Luke 11, verses 10 to 13. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for a bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? 
Or if we ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks him? And when we're doing tongues, it is the Holy Spirit who directs that. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks. We're basically asking the Father for the Holy Spirit to take over us. So, God knows our hearts. He knows our frailties. He knows we're not perfect. He more than makes up the difference. More than makes up the difference. You don't have to fret or worry about that. Okay, verses 15 to 19. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I also will sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, and after giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I, might, that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul's further emphasizing the value of prophecy over tongues. He does mention that he speaks tongues a lot. So just like when I love what Melody shared, how they prayed in tongues continually to give him the strength to go through, I'm sure Paul did. He was beaten. What strengthened him? He was in continual communion with the Holy Spirit through the speaking of tongues. I don't see any other way that he did it. It doesn't make sense in that. It talks about that. I did that. I speak that because he is communing with God. That's the point. Whether you talk, and sometimes we're praying. I've prayed, and I don't know what to say. I used to have a real problem. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray for. I'm kind of like blank, kind of tired. It sounds rote. It sounds drab. It sounds like I'm just going through the rote of it. It's just automatic, functionary. Now it's not that way. It just, okay, I'm just let it, okay, I'm going to switch gears. And then it just kind of flows. And then I go back to speaking in English and praying something that, oh, it comes to mind. Oh, yeah, I need to pray for my brother and his kids. And then switch to something else. Oh, yeah, with a mission that's going on, frankly, and Eddie, what he's doing now and what he's talking about. And some of the other things, it just kind of bounces around. It doesn't happen in a, I don't know about you, but for me, it's not very systematic. It kind of bounces around like a pinball. So the point being is, is God, God used Paul to keep, because he was in tongues, but in the body, he wants to make sure that what we're speaking is something that edifies the body. Okay? His concern at all times was to be a blessing, not get a blessing. Wouldn't that be an attitude that would be neat for us in the church? Instead of going to say, what is the church going to give to me today when I go to church? Hey, what am I going to give to be a blessing to others when I go to church? Okay, what am I going to give to be a blessing to others? That is what Paul's attitude was. That's what the Lord wants of us. Verse 20 to 25. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not 
hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all. Thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So he says, be children understanding. Sometimes we want to learn and do things just so that we can satisfy our curiosity. Common refrain of the American Christian is we're educated far beyond our level of obedience. Okay? We want to be educated. I want to learn more. I want to expose our preaching, but they just sit in their pews. They don't put anything to practice. That is not what he says. He says you want to be those of action more than just trying to learn more, learn more, learn more. That's our tendency. We still want, I want to figure that out. I want to learn that. I know what that's like. That's me. Okay? I'm like that. What does that mean? I want to understand. I'm talking with pastor. I give him a call yesterday going, okay, this very part, I wasn't sure how to address this. And I wanted to figure it out because I didn't want to come up empty-handed. But it was motivated to help you, but there's also a part of me still want to understand for me too. And I wrestled and looked and tried to figure it out, and we spent some time, and God was good about it. And so it talks about that part in verse 22 that I had a challenge with about a sign for unbelievers, tongue. And it refers to the part before in um, the ch- in Isaiah chapter 28. With men of other tongues and lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that, they will not hear me. That's what that's referring to, which then goes back to Deuteronomy 28 too, as well. What I mean, not 28 too, 28 as well. And it refers to that God... God's going to send the spirit of delusion. It talks about that in Thessalonians. When people understand with tongues, they think, ah, oh, you're crazy. But the other thing is, it's an indication that they don't know what's going on. They're not part of his kingdom. So it actually becomes judgment. This is the challenge we don't understand. When we're educated, the whole principle, when we're educated, the more we know about faith, those who've gone through prayer life, the more you understand about God's grace and you reject it, you're under greater judgment. Okay? We, do, we understand knowledge and we seek knowledge, but the more knowledge you have and you don't put it into practice, okay, it's like the same thing with our legal system. If you do something and you didn't know, you get off easier. But if you do it with intentional and you know, your punishment is always severe. Okay? And so the principle here is God uses tongues primarily, he said this, the purpose of the tongues is for the believers, for your personal education. Don't use it outside. Don't use it to put judgment on others. So when I do tongues and somebody doesn't know what's going on, I'm actually putting judgment on them. It's showing, hey, you do not get what's going on. That shows you're not of the people and you're not of God. And that puts them under condemnation. That's not a rule. Rather, give them prophecy. Let them know about the goodness of God. Let them understand that this can be the day of their salvation, that they may come to Christ. Okay, I know that's a hard one, and if you have questions afterwards, I can be happy to explain it. But there's even other ones that we need to do. Okay, 
26 to 23. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all being be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So there's a twofold thing that Paul's doing here. First, he's speaking specifically to the Corinthian church. They were into that culture, and at that culture, with some of the pagan stuff, they were all kind of speaking these ecstatic words that were kind of crazy, and it was going kind of nuts in there. And they came from that background. They thought they loved tongues. The Corinthian church loved the idea of tongues because it made them feel special. It made them feel unique. It made them feel great. And they wanted to all practice. Oh, he could, I don't know. I got more than him. And so they all started to go in the clamoring and became loud and became crazy. A cacophony of sound. Okay? It was nuts. And Paul's saying it needs to be in order. Okay? Same thing with prophecy. Oh, I know what God. God's speaking to me. So I'm going to say what my word is. And then somebody else will say what they think their word is. And so what Paul's saying, all of those things need to be done in order. So you can't have the gift of tongues without interpretation. So if somebody speaks a inter- tongue and there's no interpretation, then they need to interpret before the next one speaks. It needs to go in sequence. And likewise, in prophecy, you have to have judgment. So one of the things they're talking about, and it comes up to the next verses, is what the role of, in terms of speaking is judgment. God has given the discernment of judgment of spiritual authority into the hands of men. He knows what's best. Sometimes I don't know if it is the best, but he certainly knows what's best. Okay, and he's given us that authority, and that's why that role of spiritual authority is the role of men to make that decision and determine what to do so. And so when you have prophecy, you need to judge, is that, a right, is that true of the word of God or not? And so you're going to see that here, where somebody will speak something out, and they'll quote something or bring something up in Scripture, and sometimes it's right on the money, right on the mark. It really makes a difference for the body. And other times, it's like, where did that come from? What was that all about? Okay? And so when it quenches the spirit, it kills the moment. And so the discernment part is where we need to exercise that to go, okay, that's of the spirit and that's not of the spirit. Sometimes it can happen there. Usually what we try to do is talk with the person afterwards. Uh, maybe where was that coming from and what's going on here? And the intent is to see how is this in keeping with what the Holy Spirit was doing. Okay? And you'll see that. And we do that here within the body. And that's how that's going to be exercised. Okay, so there's order with tongues. It has to have interpretation sequentially. There's order with prophecy, the same thing. Okay, there will always be order. And that's what it says. It creates peace and unity. The purpose is to build the body. Remember, this is all based on love. If there's no love, then all that's a mess. Yeah, why are you saying that? Are we saying it because we want to be, we want to be esteemed? Or are we saying that because we want to be a blessing? Okay, quickly to get to the next one, there's a lot here, and I'm going to quickly, we're going to go right, um, well, this is a good one. I'm not going to say that. Verses 34 and 35, let your women keep silent on the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, 
Let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for women to speak in church. So, wow, that's strong. So that means women can't talk in church? That's not what he's saying. Okay, because he said before in chapter 12 and chapter 11, it talks about women can share. In Joel, it talks about women prophesying. So there's no question God has given women gifts. The same kind of gifts. It's not like men get certain gifts and women get other gifts. No, there may be different portions, different women, different things, just like they're different men, but they're given the same kind of gifts. What he's talking about is two things. One is cultural. We intermingle. We go in families and you do that. And But if you go to a traditional Jewish church, if you go to a Muslim church, when I went to the Hindu temple, the men and women are separate. Men on one side, women on the other side. Okay, and what was happening then, that's what they did. The men and women were separate. And some of the women who didn't have the benefit of education because they weren't allowed to be educated were trying to understand. They have this new freedom in Christ and they want to understand, which is good. And they're going, wait, wait, what's he saying? What's happening? And they were calling out. And then, oh, I don't know, is that right? And, and so it was causing confusion. We just shared. The whole thing is he wanted order. And if you're doing something that's causing disorder, he doesn't want that to be a disruption. How is what they're saying a benefit to others? And so Paul's saying, look, afterwards, go home, explain, make things clear. Okay? So it's not, the principle was not intended to quench people from operating their gifts, but rather to not create disorder, to not create problems. And that's why it was followed by that. It's within that same spirit that he talks about that. Okay? The other part is the submissive part. He talks about in terms of authority. So the decision of whether something is right or wrong spiritually rests in the hand that we believe with men. Okay, this, this is the right spiritual. That's not. Doesn't mean we don't receive counsel. Doesn't mean we don't hear what others say. But it needs to be done in order. Okay? So, and the last part, just because we're so close to the end. 36 to 38. And did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. And then the last one, verse 39 to 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. This is the point that Paul's talking about. Okay? He's talking about us having order and make sure that it's not crazy. Now, we're at a church that's a little bit freer than other churches. Some churches are rigid. We're not going to be rigid. We want the Holy Spirit to go through. There's going to be some things that are going to be a little bit unusual, a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. Okay, we're not saying that you have to be perfectly comfortable. We're not, we don't like stand up for the first song, sit down for the second song, and stand up for the third song. We don't have that whole thing set up ahead of time. We're going to go and be trusting what the Holy Spirit does. Okay, but within that context, there's still parameters. Okay, and you got to see that tonight. We started with worship, then we had a time of prayer, and then we're doing a message. That's the word that we're talking about. Okay? I broke protocol when I did in the middle when I asked questions, but I'm reserving questions now for the very end, which is what we're going to do now. Okay? Um, okay, so um, I kind of ran through that part. Um, but do you have any questions? Yes, Troy?
So that would be the spiritual authority, and that's referring to the elders I talked about. So the men in spiritual authority would be the others they're talking about. Okay, and the intent is that judgment has to be done by those who have the spiritual discernment of leadership to go, hey, those who know Scripture, those who understand what the God's doing. So ultimately, it'll rest in Pastor Jeff here. So the whole choice, the whole choice of that role is to act both as the shepherd, to comfort along, but also the guard dogs, okay, to make sure that heresy doesn't come in, something grossly inappropriate doesn't come in, to to affect the flock, okay, and to protect them that way. That answer your question, Troy. Any other question? Okay. Can you give him a microphone? I know, but it gets on the recording part if you want to do it. Okay. Um, and he referenced to Isaiah because God had been speaking to the people, through the prophets, and they weren't heeding, they weren't believing what he was saying. And so he's talking about you're going to be taken into bondage, basically, by a people who speak a foreign language. In other words, because you didn't listen to me, your judgment's going to be, it's almost like when they were in the land that they were captive in, every time they'd hear that foreign tongue, it was God's judgment mm-hmm. upon them because they didn't believe. So it was a sign to them, to the unbeliever who didn't believe God's word. So there's that aspect of it, too. Um, obviously, it is a sign. I mean, not a sign, but... It is meant for believers um, as a gift. Okay, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Just it adds that other nuance to what you were saying. You said it well. Um, I just wanted to bring in more of why he quoted Isaiah and what that meant for the Jews. It was a sign to them of their disobedience and a reminder to them as they were captive under this foreign people. What Pastor is also sharing is when we speak in tongues now, in the in the new covenant, it's still a sign for the unbelievers to the judgment they have, and that's why something that should not be it should be used with discernment and not put them under. The idea is we don't want to put them under condemnation. They're already under enough condemnation. Our, we want to give them prophecy because we want them to come into repentance and seek the Lord again. And then come to the Lord. They'll come and go, yeah. So, you know, they talk about fall down. They'll repent and fall down and come to their feet. That's our desire. It's, again, all on over. It's love. Okay? He talks here a little bit more about order because he wants to make sure that there's some sense of form there that needs to be. Again, how that tight is. You don't want to be so tight that you quench things. Okay? But you don't want to be so loosey-goosey that you think anything goes and you have wild things. And that's one of the accusations about those who speak in tongues are just kind of like, you know, barking like dogs and doing kind of rolling around on the ground and doing crazy things like that. That's not going to happen here. Okay? It's not going to happen here because, you know, we don't believe that's what God wants. He's not wacky. God is not a wacky God. 
Okay, he's beyond our understanding, but he's not wacky. Okay, so we kind of have to have the balance of what it's about. It's about how, what does that? It's not about you. How are those things? You want to make sure that what it is is points to others, to Christ, to be a blessing to others. So let's just be the metric. Everything we're talking about is through love. It's how to be a blessing for others. Yes, Chris. It's interesting how much of all ministry of uniting the church. Season four has all the same units mentioned. You know, one God, one faith, one baptism, one church. And just keep going throughout all of these regions, just promoting, look, we are one in Christ. Get rid of the division. And then pointing the way and he says it over and over again because we are a stubborn thick-headed generation that needs that message happening to us yeah thanks Chris James you asked a question um, when Paul says I earnestly desire to speak earnestly the better gifts before he says something about like the better gifts that we see in high position or in lowly those that we see in lowly well, the idea is this. He said those that are lowly will, should be put up and those that are high should be brought down because the idea of what the world thinks the standard of what's good or not, the world thinks those who, who are out front and, you know, the church and especially in America and even because Americans influence the rest of the world is the idea of the guy who's a great eloquent speaker or who's got great charisma and who has a huge following at this large church or how many followers they took at numbers and how many people go. We all look at how many people. They're always looking at numbers of where things are. Nobody looks at Jesus' numbers because he really didn't have that many in his lifetime through your ministry. You know, most mission boards would not accept Jesus on their team because he wouldn't have met the standard of what they expected with somebody who had that kind of ministry. Okay? They would expect more productivity out of him. Okay? So but that's the world's way of looking at it. And that's not the way that the church is about. Okay? It's not about that at all. And so what he's saying is the focus of the best is what is it for the benefit of others? Always what is it for the benefit of the others? So when you're looking at the best gifts, he's saying it's not about this or that. It's not about toe, eye, ears, okay, mouth. It is about what is going to glorify God and what is going to be a blessing for the body. Wouldn't that be a neat way? I'm not praying for what I want. I'm praying for what does the body need. Okay, God, what does the body need? God, give me the gift so I can bless the body, I can help others. We need this, and we need more of this. Help me to be able to do that. Let's close it, because I know we're past time, so let's let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for being a good God. Thank you for the strength you gave. Father, thank you for your word. It, um, you know, you're a good God, and we get to see how good you are over and over. Help us to, to really grasp that, to understand how good you are much, much better than we can imagine. And Lord, Father, I just pray a blessing on each person here. Father, I pray they go forth understanding where they stand with you, that you're good, that you love them, and that you want them to be a blessing to others, that the love you pour on them, you want that to pass through them to benefit others. Lord, so um, we thank you for being such an amazing good God. Pray you have your way, have all the glory you deserve, which is all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.